It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. Well, Simon, I had good feelings about today in terms of uh, our digital arrangement. Don't don't say that. Just to let you know. However, just to let you know that I neither heard Alexa nor the musical sting there. So uh, hopefully they've appeared to our listeners. And I guess it's only fitting that uh, in the week where we lost Sean Connery, some of the best Bonds, I am forced to be like a Bond villain here, making a fuss of my tiny cat, Enid Blyton, who has decided now is the time that she needs to be involved. Um, Indeed. So... um... I'm just trying to get hurriedly into the into the chat so that I can see whether um, anyone else can actually um, message me someone to say that actually you can hear both of us rather than just me and is the music playing. So you didn't hear the music at all? Nope. No, no, nor Alexa. So, so our continuing ongoing challenges of having um, something to uh, challenge your digital paradigm every time we broadcast continues if today were not challenge enough so uh yeah unfortunately we've had to have a change of plan from our original scheduled episode as unfortunately sarah cheverton from star and crescent couldn't make it today um so we wish sarah and her family all the very best and hopefully we'll get her on at some point later in the year so it's me and you and a hurriedly cobbled three-course sumptuous banquet of political deliciousness um yeah that's that, that's a brave description um but we'll go with it okay so um yes so yes um we send our best to sarah and her family and um hopefully we can get her on sometime soon but in the meantime um there've been some things happening this week um, I know it might be a struggle to think of kind of big things to talk about this week, but um, what did you think they were, Ian? Well, I thought that starter, as is the modern way, we'd look autumnal. We'd go, uh, we'd go to the veg patch of Labanus with a beetroot-related Corbyn starter to see, well, Sakia Starmer as a... Uh, the, the Equality and Human Rights Commission report was on anti-Semitism was published this week. Commented weren't expecting it to be as um, how can I say as as challenging, even damning perhaps as it was, and that has then sparked off a whole bun fight in Team Red Camp, which we, being keen observers, will um, will pick through and uh, and muse on. In the main course, like a big old. Steak and kidney pudding. Why does anyone put kidney in a pudding? I don't. Never understood it. I get it when times were hard and you had to try and make the beef go a bit further. But really, putting in something that's just completely ghastly. Anyway, I've digressed. It's the national question: Was should we have a national lockdown? No, we're not having a national lockdown. We're not locking down nationally. Locking down nationally is not what we're going to do up until Friday, and then Saturday morning whispers in the darkness suggested something was about to happen and then like a 70s rock band that are supposed to appear on stage at eight o'clock he he wheeled out some two hours late looking slightly disheveled and gave a performance that perhaps you know wasn't of his best so we got all that to kick around and then for dessert a bit of mississippi mud pie we're going to nip across the pond and have a uh, a muse on tomorrow's world between uh, Donald Trump and the not so slightly sprightly 77-year-old, the other bloke, whose name escapes me. I have been studying it at some... Joe Biden. That's right. Slow Joe, as I believe he's been... A, he's been I had a Joe Biden moment there, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have a kick around with that and uh, see where that takes us. So that that's your menu for this evening. I'm, I'm going to keep riding this food-based analogy, Simon. I think it's it's working for me. Well, it, it, it makes a change, to be honest, for you making it um, a really stretched musical analogy. So I guess that's a, that's a different thing. 
Um, but um, we'll roll with it. Um, I've tried some alternative technology to try and see whether I can't um, can't get the backup sounds that I'd actually um, organised um, to work. But it might mean that the um, it might mean the end music doesn't work. But but forgive us. So I guess um, to reveal the t- show with the theme our title. Shall we? Um, shall I? Hang on. Don't panic. Don't panic. Before we start panicking and get into our three-course meal of um, hastily researched, um, opinionated speech, and if there is anybody that wants to contribute to that, please do so in the chat, or if you'd like to um, like to put yourself forward and perhaps even dial in to the show, um, message me, and I shall um, I, I shall if you if you're up to it, um, get you in on the call. But um, should we quickly do on this day? Yes, yes. What's happened on this day, Simon? So it's quite interesting. I've picked four things that are related to our subject matter this week, oh. I, and, and I thought that might um, that might cut me some slack and some latitude. Um, so in uh, in the year twelve ten, King John of England becomes uh, sorry begins imprisoning Jews. Yeah, he wasn't keen, was he? Um, and in 1348, the Black Death reaches London on or about this date. That's interesting, because um, well, when would it really go? When it's 1665? I, I, I couldn't say. I, I couldn't say. I think, yeah, I think it was. This, the, old, um, the old rhyme was in 1665, half of London was left alive. In 1666, the rest of London was burnt to sticks because they reckon it was the old Great Fire of London that that kind of did for it. So, um, okay, yeah, so well, looks well, like looks like the Black Death had been knocking about for a few hundred years then. Um, well, it had been around for a bit, but even so, let's not consider that as a potential means of dealing with no. our current pandemic. Um, in 1800, John Adams became the first U.S. president to live in the White House. Um, and of course, later on, we'll be talking about who the who the fight to be the Who's next person the and whether the existing yeah. person will actually leave. Um, in 1848, W.H. Smith opens its first railway bookstore in Euston Station in, Port- in Portsmouth, in London. It was in London. Sorry, not in Portsmouth. Not everything's in Portsmouth. I know. Shameful. Yeah, we got, got a W.H. Smith. We have got a W.H. One of those one. One of those ones that worries me, though, Simon. What W.H. Smith? I do wonder. Yeah, it's another one of these. It's interesting. There was some kick about about it. Will Woolworths return next year? And I've mused on it and thought, well, that was. Yeah, to be fair, it's some, it's not going to happen, is it? No, that was a joke, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I thought I thought it was, but people started getting all excited again, and it's that you know, I, 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 I do worry for your the, the likes of your W. H. Smith. You know, well, let's go and buy a paper based book and carry it round. No, no I'll, I'll tap the screen and get it through Audible or Kindle or something else. So, yeah, we will see. We will see. But no, it's interesting how history brings echoes through this very day to the topics that we're talking about today. In, in, indeed, it so, does. I mean, I just to pass the time because I'm sad a bit like that. I've been watching the BBC's coverage of the 1970, the second 1974 general election. Um, yesterday um, and it was amazing how many things change but how many things stay the same the sets of course 1970s gorgeousness the broadcasting technology um, was was um, was fantastically over egged um, but interesting to, to hear the liberals complaining about the unfairness of the distribution of votes in our voting system um, Scotland talking about how they needed a bigger say um, and half the country being preoccupied with the idea of renegotiating its relationship with Brussels before having uh, a referendum um, so oh. <laughs> yeah god I was only five but yeah it, it's uh, as you say a lot of these uh, a lot of these topics are eternal are they not and uh who won? Who won in seventy four? The second one. It was the um, the Labour Party won them. Yeah, I thought they did. Yeah, and they went through to seventy nine when um, that lovable scamp Margaret Thatcher took over. Uh, there was an interesting exchange between the presenters, one of whom, by the way, was was smoking on set. So that was quite interesting. Not something you'll see on the Pompey <laughs> Politics podcast. Um, and um, 
um, they were um, they were talking about um, how few um, female MPs there were. I think there was only about twenty three female MPs returned, and talking about how um, how you know how great it was that women can do these things, can be politicians if they if they want to be. But it's not that the voters seem to mind; it's that the local parties seem to mind. But um, some women surprisingly want to be involved in politics. Isn't that grand? Which was you know rather you know um rather ins- insulting and and um, and patronizing but they did go on to to muse about potential um conservative party leadership candidates considering how badly the conservatives had done um and um they were rating that there was this 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 one candidate that they were talking about and rating at 50 to 1 which was um was which was of course Margaret Thatcher who who we all came to hear a lot more about as as time went on I was sitting there looking at the telly thinking, yeah. oh, we should keep an eye on her. I think I've got a feeling about this one. Yeah, no, no, she could go places, definitely. definitely. She, she really would. So, let's jump in. So, the, the timeline. So, here is my understanding, and it, it is based on, on some, you know, a, a reasonable bit of reading round, which is that uh, the Equality and Human Rights Commission earlier in the year were investigating the Labour Party to see whether they had broken the law over the handling of claims of anti-Semitism within the party. Ultimately, their findings were made pretty uncomfortable reading, I think, for anybody. And I'll be honest, you know, I've... I've, uh, Whilst... You know, I think there, I, I, from a personal perspective, I think there are, you know, there have um, I've used that kind of inappropriate language and seem to hold those views. I personally didn't think it was as big an issue as, as perhaps some of the areas of the, the right wing press were looking to make it. But I figured that the right leaning organisation would at least come up with a fair result. Well, ultimately, they concluded that the Labour Party had broken the law at times, had not investigated things as fully as they should have done, and that there had been influence from the office of the leader, which in some cases had not been helpful. Now, obviously, not comfortable reading if you've been the the previous incumbent and leader of the party. Now, where it all starts to unravel for me is that Jeremy Corbyn then releases a statement minutes before Sir Keir Starmer is due to give an official response where, you know, carefully worded, but ultimately still contains the words that he doesn't recognise some of those findings and believes the scale of the problem has been exaggerated. Sir Keir Starmer's speech contains the words actually, if people are still saying that this is being exaggerated and it's not really a problem, then they're part of the problem. I think this leaves Sir Keir and Jeremy somewhat at cross purposes. Now, what I later learned, having done my research, is that before he made his announcement, Sir Keir actually spoke to Jeremy the night before he made his speech and basically outlined to him the direction he was going to take in his speech. So I conclude from that, that brother Corbyn, flexible team player as he's always been, has actually stepped forward, stuck his chin out and taken the metaphorical stance of, come on then, you want some, me and you right now, let's get it on here. Later in the day, Sir Keir, or the office, the Labour Party themselves, announced that Jeremy Clarkson, oh, I don't think he was voting his Labour, Jeremy no, has had the was. whip removed and been suspended from the Labour Party. And then, of course, the internet catches fire. Um, yeah, so... You, did you describe the EHRC as a left-leaning? Was that? Did I hear you say that? Am I... I said they. I said the EHRC were, were not 
I, I said they were, I, I wouldn't view them as a right-leaning organisation. Because the, 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 right. a lot of the narrative, right. Simon, has mm. it, been about the fact that Jer Jer Jeremy Corbyn is a good and decent man, and these attacks about anti-Semitism come from the gutter right-wing press that are looking to smear him. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've, I've never met the guy. Um, I just seen my my observation. Obviously, as someone that doesn't have a doesn't have a penny in this in this race, is that um, he doesn't ever seem to miss an opportunity to completely fluff up um, something. So I thought it was a it was a bit, it was a bit of an odd. It was like an it was like one of those apologies that you issue where you say I'm I, I'm sorry that I. Um, I'm sorry that I drove into the back of your your car, but it was your fault because you stopped, so that you didn't run over a deer. Yes, yes, um, I, yeah. Or it's the the old. Uh, I'm I'm sorry that you feel offended by what I said. Oh yeah, I don't I don't yeah I don't think it was quite the the apology the politician's non-apology apology the well the well rehearsed. I'm sorry that you you feel that way rather than I'm actually sorry if I was a yep uh, I was a spanner. Um, insert other words if you want. Um, okay, we're, we're going, <laughs> we're, we're going for that level of language. Um, so, so in one respect, I, I don't, I don't know. To me, it kind of seems like a missed opportunity to say, I was the person in charge at the time. Um, these things happen. It's absolutely uh, abhorrent. It's against what we consider to be the um, the the views and values of of the party that I love so much. I was the person in charge. Um, so the buck stops with me. I must take some responsibility for that. Um, and um, I hope that the, you know, that the, the party goes on to rebuild the trust um, in, in the, in, you know, and faith in the people that um, sadly have, have yep. decided to leave it, et cetera, et cetera. But to do the, I don't agree with all of the things that they've said. It's not what I've seen. And it's been overblown by some parts of the media. It's just a, you know that you know that guy that does the videos of um, he does them for I think does he do them for Johnson and Trump speeches where he pretends that he's like the person in the next room feeding the feeding the sound bites through to them on yep. on headphones. I can just imagine someone just sat there going, just watching that and just going. But I think for me though, Simon, the fact that he had been given their heads up as to which way the leader was going to go. For him to choose to take that narrative, which is still being exaggerated, it is a key leader of the Labour Party, isn't it? Um, that is a that is well, I which way you want me to get opportunity to say. That's very uncomfortable reading. You know, I hope we can now draw a line under it and move forward as a party together. But that wasn't what he wanted, which is why I actually think it was, this is now no longer about anti-Semitism. I think it's about the cabal of momentum within the Labour Party, openly challenging Keir Starmer and taking the view, so what are you going to do about it? Um, I, I don't know, and I guess, I guess to be honest, it would be handy to have someone. Um, okay, well, um, Steve Warris has just shared a link, which I which I won't click on the moment because, to be honest, my internet is struggling enough as it is already. Um, uh, supposedly saying a, um, a a statement that Claire Rayner said that um, that um, what Corbyn said was um, was true but unacceptable. So um, that's an interesting narrative to kind of take. So I, I guess it would be interesting, and, and sadly, with the with the time available, we didn't we didn't have time. I'm afraid to to line up or to have any reasonable expectations of being able to line up a guest from uh, someone that is that kind of you know is is either yep. a member of the Labour Party or or that part of the Labour Party. So if someone's listening and wants to join, send me um wants to join the discussion, send send me a message. It would be lovely to hear what your views are. Um, I just think it was a. Yeah, if if you've been kind of given the heads up and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to say, and you need to kind of take this sort of line in, in order to in order to be saying the right thing and you know at the right time for the party, and then to yeah. deliberately do that. To be fair, it isn't exactly without precedent or without the ability oh, no, to no, predict no. from his behaviour because he's spent his entire career basically 
you know, sticking two fingers to whoever is the leadership leadership of the party. Um, obviously, the people of is it is it, is it Islington? Yes. You know, um, don't seem to have don't seem to have a problem with it. That's you know, that's for them. That's how that's how democracy works. He's representing them. If they're happy with how he's representing them, that's great. But the Labour Party don't have to accept him representing them um, in that respect. And in the same way that um, that when Corbyn was in charge, that they got rid of um, Alistair Campbell for saying for admitting on air that he said that he'd voted for another party. Um, then um, hopefully they'll have sound and, and reasonable investigations as to what the appropriate level of action is and we'll, and we'll deal with that. But it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm just kind of reeling because I've been called all sorts on the internet for the, for the last couple of days. I've had someone trying to spout the ridiculous nonsense that apparently Corbyn is a, is a, um, is a Tory puppet, not an enabler. But actually, following instructions from the Conservative leadership, which is, you know, if, if he doesn't follow instructions from his own leadership, he sure as hell isn't going to follow instructions from someone else's. Um, and well, and and it's a, I mean, that is fascinating. You know, again, the internet is is the home of uh, every lunatic opinion that's out there. Yeah. But ultimately, if if you look at it, and again, I, I, you know, I've joked that I think he should be knighted, a because he would hate that kind of elitism and would refuse to accept it for services to the Conservative Party because he's been so good over the last 10 years at handing us election victories. If I'm a Conservative strategist, what would I want the Labour Party to do? And my answer is I'd like them to defend, descend into infighting and bitter, spiteful schisms. Well, happy days, ring the bell, game on. Jezza has just done exactly that. Um, because you know, if you go onto a political forums as we do, you would have seen so many of our left-leaning chums saying, "That's it, I'm resigning, I'm leaving the party." Their treatment of Jezza is a disgrace. I, I'm off. I'm earned elsewhere. So you know, he has he is playing a blinder for us, Simon, isn't he? Um. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess in, in that respect, you could argue that he was a more successful conservative politician than David Cameron was. But um, yeah. um, but obviously he got, he, he got he got Brexit done for us. <laughs> he's he's been he's been superb. The man has been a, an absolute legend. See, we couldn't have asked any more. Stop it. You're, you're just playing into the puppet narrative. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, one of the themes that we 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 talked about when we were when we were hastily trying to uh construct the show was that we thought that there was a kind of a running theme of the difference between conspiracy and cock up uh, and yeah. you know there are obviously large parts very vocal parts of the internet that are quite happy to go on about conspiracies with everything from you know lizards to 5g masks and microsofts and chips and vaccines to you know to just just the sheer just the sheer you know you know the the truth and the most simplest answer is actually people make mistakes. Actually, governments make mistakes, and actually, governments aren't as effective as they would need to be to to maintain those conspiracies. You're going to tell me, of course, that's what they want us to think. Yes, see, you're you're applying Occam's razor, aren't you? I am indeed. I've seen enough episodes yeah. of Star Trek. So yeah, no, 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 no. I'm good with that. You just need to stay a little bit quiet about the lizard people. Well, you don't like that sort of talk. Well, um, David Icke no, is only over the I, Isle of Wight, so he certainly is. So yeah, no, I mean, if I look at this, the the question I guess is, will this be? Is this going to be a little bit of a shock, or or is it going to be the start of something bigger? You know, he obviously he booted. Um, Prosecco wrong daily from his cabinet for some of her inappropriate comments. Um, he's now been seen to suspend Jeremy Corbyn. I guess the question is, can you know? Can the very significant momentum-leading membership that they've got in their—I'm going to use the Labour word—rank and file—are they going to take that laying down, or is there going to be a—is there—is there going to be a, a, a pushback? Against uh, against the lovely, beautifully haired Kia Starmer. Um, I don't know. I guess that's you know that's um, you know raise, raise your bets here. Um, yeah. In the same way, you could start raising your bets as to 
um, as to how many months before Boris Johnson steps down as prime minister. Um, I, I guess you could you could kind of say that. But what I would say is, as obviously someone that has in the past voted for the Labour Party, but but wouldn't now. You and me uh, both. Um, I would say that um, the country is best served when there is a strong and effective opposition. Um, regardless of who the who the country who the party is that's in power, um, yep. the country doesn't tend to do well. Although it's very you know it's easy for certain more idealist more ideological fantasists and purists that want want a basically a large enough majority to push through everything they want to do. Um, actually, the country does its best when you have to you have to compromise and you have to find that middle game. And that's why first past the post is such an awful system because it pits people and parties against each other instead of seeking common sense, grown up coalition. Although the C word is a, is a bad word in, in my neck of the woods. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, agreement yeah. of in any, in any other grown up situation, you find a way that people can be comfortable with that doesn't, you know, that means that, you know, people aren't necessarily happy with everything but there's something in it that's happening that that, that they can feel yeah. comfortable enough with to sign off on that's how life works for the rest of us um so yeah i think it's an interesting one i think if we were in a uh, god forbid if we were in a, a, a proportional representation situation i think the i think the labor party would would have already split in two by this stage, well, it, and you could probably argue that the the Conservative Party would have would have done similar. Well, I, I think um, to be fair, the Conservative Party is three parties at the moment, and the Labour Party is we? really two. Yeah, because you've got the you've got the the really What's rather Brexit fantasist nut jobs on the on the far right wing that are absolutely obsessed about their frothing Brexit, even though they've they've you know we've left the EU. So could you please get on with it? Some competence, thanks. You've got the actual fiscal Conservatives that don't want to be giving loads of money to poor people and don't want to be prop up, a propping up economy, and it's okay to let let um, you know let the country fall to its knees. Um, and then you've got the more kind of centrist conservatives. So between them, I think there's there's probably about you know three different types of different types of conservatives. None of which are the I would describe with the S word that that rhymes with brum that I see used um, as an emotional epithet for conservatives um, by certain um, left leaning deputy um, leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I, I think the the, the the fiscal conservatives and uh, and I think they, it's interesting that they I think they split across the two the two groups because I think there are some who are who are more fiscally minded. So no, I, I think you're probably right. If there was PR, then then I guess there would be there would be a a a, a greater selection of uh, of parties to vote for. But um, yeah, but there isn't. So so we will have to wait, watch and wait with interest. Hmm. And uh, see how this unfolds over the coming week. Hmm. Well, um, it's it's uh, it depends on what happens with um, whether whether the Labour Party go for support of PR um, because now that they are so far behind, they need quite a significant swing in order to actually win back um, the places yeah, they need to form a majority. So yeah, before this story broke, though, they were five points ahead in the latest Mori opinion poll. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on 42, we were on 37. Um, it was not looking great for you guys. I think that you and the Greens had about five each. So, you know, it's, it's, and I think this is, this is, this is why I find, you know, purely from an abstract point of view, and like you say, I don't have a dog in the fight either, but there's an element of the Keir Starmer is seriously making the Labour Party look electable, yes. which it hasn't done for 10 years. So the first chance he gets, you know, the magic granddad sticks a spoke in the wheel to um to try and knock old Keir off his uh off his perch. It, it just struck me as uh, as massively self destructive. You're probably in the best chance you've ever had. Of of turning around that massive majority, and you look to you look to make your own chances, but still, well, I guess it's a free country, isn't it? Um, it it is indeed. So we're coming up to three minutes to seven. So shall we move on to our yeah? So our main course lockdown. So all week we're not going to lock down. We're not going to lock down. Then 
Lil Whispers on Saturday morning. A couple of the papers had the, oh, Boris is going to come out at 4.30 this afternoon and announce the lockdown. My first instinct, to be honest with you, Simon, is, of course he's bloody not. We've only had the tiered system for about three or four weeks. And, you know, if that's what we thought was going to slow this down and make it better, surely you've got to give that a little bit of time before you make a, a big old jump. So you're saying the tier and, system ended in tears? It did end in tears. And, and so so there he was. He was supposed to come out at 4.30. It then meant move back and back and back, which is odd in itself. You know, my view is if... If by the morning the press seemed to either know or have a strong inkling that he was going to stride onto the stage, you'd, you'd think he already had a decent idea of what he was going to say and it wasn't going to be bust like, you know, it was not an episode of the Pompey Politics podcast. We can get away with freewheeling this sort of stuff. But there he was. He emerged, grey-faced, apocalypse coming, unless we do something to change it. We're in lockdown from Thursday for four weeks till early December. And before I give you any more of my opinion, what are your thoughts there, Simon? Because I might, I might, I might go a little bit grandstand at this point. I might soapbox. So are you? Are you? Are you taking a run up? Um, so I, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is coming off the full run. This, okay. this one's going to be quick. Okay. Well, don't don't trip over the dog. So. Um, or the cat. So, for me, I think um, I, I the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We entered, we we made the decision and entered lockdown late in um, earlier in the year in March, and we seem to have entered lockdown, um, although a slightly different lockdown, um, later than um, seems to be. Um, it seems to be have been suggested and advised uh, by scientific minds. Um, indeed, the ones that were actually advising the government. So that there's there's kind of there's kind of that, and and indeed the opposition have been calling for um, a national lockdown or or at least a circuit breaker to um, to put a break on things. And there were suggestions about time that to be at half term, and then effectively yeah. you've got schools closed. You just need to extend it for a few days, and, and effectively you've got two weeks worth of schools being shut. And you know you you could have a you could have a decent impact with very little negative um, impact on the on the economy and people's lives and livelihoods. Um, sadly, all of that was was ignored and denied by um, successive members of the government. So on one hand, it seems a bit frustrating, but I don't want to sound like Captain Hindsight. Um, I absolutely want the government to change their mind and change their policy and change their approach when the facts and the science changes. But it seems like it changed a little while ago um, and they've been reluctant to, to reach this conclusion. I'm bemused, if I'm honest, by... Um, by the nature of how we found out about this i'm bemused just and there's there's conflicting stories on on the internet like there is for everything else to be honest with you um as to whether it was intentionally leaked or whether somebody basically spoke out of turn and, and it's going to be taken out in the back of the house of commons with a with a two before or something um to to leak that to the press but either way however you know whether it was a yeah, we want you to do this because we want to manage expectations or or because we want to kind of get people used to the idea so that when we announce it, it doesn't seem so bad. Or whether it was a, I know about this, I want to release it because I, I either want to show that I know this or I want to show that, you know, I want to make sure that the government doesn't kind of change its mind again. It's, whatever the motivation was and whoever did it, it seems an irresponsible yep. thing to me to say to the public, some of whom are really quite distressed about the impact on their lives and their livelihoods um, and about being able to, um, you know, spend time with the, with family members that uh, may be, you know, maybe in high risk groups. Um, and all of the, all of those people, it seems a really unfair and cruel thing to, to say to them, oh, we're going to print all of this stuff in the press, but we're not really going to say for sure what happens because this is a this is a leak. So either way, I think I think that's that's a poor way to, to do it and and um, yep. is irresponsible. Um, I'm glad to hear that I didn't really what I didn't realize originally was that Boris Johnson's plan appears to be to actually take this to Parliament and ask Parliament to vote on it, which is something the other parties had actually asked for the government to do rather than you know effectively making its own mind up. Um, and just doing doing what it likes. I think it's I think it's right. 
personally, I would have liked to have seen it not been leaked. I'd have liked to have seen it announced in Parliament, discussed with the opposition parties um, and challenged, um, questioned and supported by the opposition parties. Because I don't think any, to be honest with you, I don't think any opposition party is going to say, no, we don't we don't want to go into a lockdown. This is the wrong thing to do now. That's that's not what they're going to say, is it? Um, well, I think that should happen. And then there should have been a, a press conference because at the end of the day, we have, you know, our parliament is, is you know, it's part, as, the, as the saying goes, it was other people that, that used the slogan a lot and I'm not, I'm not repeating it for, for cheap tricks. You know, the parliament is sovereign. We have elected representatives that are there and are actually some of whom yep. are experts and therefore can um, can interrogate the government's policy and process with, um, with, with a bit of knowledge and forethought. So for me, I think how it was, ha- I think going into lockdown, um, from what I can see, there's questions about whether we should have done that sooner. There's, qu- I have questions about how that, how that conversation, you know, how how we've inf- how the public have, have been informed about that. Um, although then they wouldn't be the first government to have decided to announce policies via the press rather than via Parliament. I think Tony Blair's government had a bit of a penchant for that. To be fair, although they weren't dealing with a national health crisis. Yeah. Um, but so, if I'm honest, I think it's I think it's right that we're doing it. I think um, it's good to hear that um, about the extension to furlough scheme, although anybody that was on the furlough scheme that has just been sacked, you know, or made redundant because because their employer was yep. expecting the furlough scheme to end yesterday, um, might not find it that comforting that the furlough scheme is now going to be ending. Obviously, any any person with any modicum of common sense can understand that we can't guarantee that on the 2nd of December things are going to reopen um, and the economy certainly isn't going to snap back to how it was. So the government will need to continue some sort of measures. But as they get more data, they'll respond. So have I given you enough time to run up? I feel like I've I've kind of oh, yeah. on a bit. Oh, go, yeah. for, go for it. Come on, Ian. Come oh, on. Yeah. Come on. Right. So in terms of the, was it leaked or, or was it an intentional leak or an accidental leak? I reflected on that. And my only conclusion, the conclusion I came to was accidental simply because the 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 shambles of the press conference starting two hours late and the the slightly woolly nature of that says to me that if there had been an evil spin doctor that has all that is orchestrating this they've got to be pretty bloody good to orchestrate the leak and then make it look like it was an you know and again we get into well, ah yes but they want you to think that so i i'm i, I think you you're absolutely right it was very poor in which the 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 way it was announced and the way that we got to know about it and we're now going to have a parliamentary debate and we're going to have a vote on it but ultimately you know like you say who's going to vote against it my biggest issue if i'm being very blunt with you is it's a shit lockdown either lockdown or don't so what we've done is we've was right we're going to lock down okay so where is the disease spreading fastest amongst young people? Brilliant. So they're going to be the first thing. They're the first taps we're going to switch off. No, no, we're not going to switch those off at all. We're going to leave schools open. We're going to leave colleges open and we're going to leave bloody universities open. So when did this all start to take off again? Well, I guess it was probably sometime around the end of August, middle of early September. What changed then? Because people have been back at pubs, they've been back at gyms, they've been back at restaurants. All of that seems to have been going on for a couple of months. Why did it take off in early September? Can't tell you, Governor. I can tell you, schools, colleges and bloody universities. And those are the places we're not shutting. Now, I get the schools, I get children being in schools. But if you're telling me that the whole of the country can pretty much operate on Zoom, why a university student needs to go and sit in a room with another load of university students to listen to somebody talk, that it does not need to happen. And, you know, I am personally incensed that this lockdown is farcical for a number of reasons. I cannot now go to the gym on Thursday. The same gym, which is massive, there's never more than eight people in there. I sanitise on the way in. I sanitise on the way out. And every piece of equipment has sanitisation next to it. And every member's unit using it. So I can't go to that place. 
But if my children were still at school age, I could walk them to school, meet with all the other parents at the school gate. My children could then go into a COVID soup and then bring the COVID home. It is an absolute bloody farce of the lockdown. And I, I, I am almost incandescent with rage at the way in which it's been handled. And my final kicker is, okay. if we look at the behaviour of the great, great British public, which we need to, what do you think is going to happen when we unlock again in early December? Well, it's Christmas going. You can't, you can't let Christmas go. We've got to have a bit of a knees up. Let's go to the pub. Come on, it's Christmas, isn't it? You know, don't worry about it. It's Christmas. We've got to have everybody around. Big old roast. It's family tradition. We've got to do that. You may as well just throw a bloody bucket of petrol onto the embers once the fires died down. Absolutely bloody stupid on a number of levels. Thank you for listening. <laughs> okay. And relax. So, um, can I just point out at this point, Ian, that you are now saying what the what you attacked the unions for saying back in August? Yes, because it was a different time, Fred. <laughs> but but you're then being aren't you doing a bit of Captain Hindsight? Let, let's, no, what let's, I'm saying is when you when you know what you know, you have to change your behaviours. So there is an element of of if you look at the, what has happened back in August, you you've you've now got the data, and okay, let's admit that the unions were right that COVID was going to spread, but I think we always knew that, but it's the extent to what it spread, how it spread. And it's also an element of now you know where it's spreading fastest. So you've got to turn the taps off on where it's spreading fastest. And we've just put a bucket on our head and beat it with a spoon. Um, so here's an, here's, an interesting, here's an interesting thing. So um, the leader of the local council, so Gerald Vernon Jackson, um, he did a video the other, the other a few days ago, which because of the you know because of the reporting times on these things if memory serves the the figure was quoting the video was quoting figures from week ending the 20 the 20th of october so obviously things might have changed since then but yep. the the interesting stats that he shared in in that video were that in portsmouth and obviously portsmouth isn't the same as the entire country but obviously it's where we all are and you know i'm not suggesting we start blowing up hillsy roundabout and the eastern road or the m275 because it doesn't really take a lot to block them anyway um is that 70% of the people testing positive in Portsmouth at that time were under the age of 30. Um, and 17% of the positive COVID tests were the student population. And the student population in yep. Portsmouth is, is about 15, on some very, very rough figures. We looked while we were doing our, um, while we were doing our planning and, and lunch meeting at the, at the lovely um, Wicks Bistro yep. in, um, in, in Cosham. Uh, the other day um which again won't be able to open on thursday uh no having it, taken all the covid precautions and yeah but it yeah. is it's i mean as george himself said it's all his fault because he opened that one just before lockdown started and then you know we opened and then lockdown happened and he's opened another one in winchester and now the second lockdown's happened so george please stop opening new restaurants um yeah, yeah. so yeah. um I, the the point that i was trying to make there was that if 17% of the positive tests, COVID tests in Portsmouth are people that live in student halls of residence, but students make up uh, about 15, 16% of the population. And considering that the university have actually been really hot on doing lots more testing, that's they're not over-representative of the pop, you know, that result isn't over-representative of their share of the population. So... Ab Absolutely, Simon. But and here's here's I, my challenge to you. Hang on, uh, hold on. Hang on. Can, you, can I can I just let me yep. let me queue up a couple of points and then we can maybe have a a, a bit of a rounded discussion on it because uh, the to and fro is difficult with the Zoom. So the other thing that I'd I'd, I'd ask is that actually bearing in mind that regardless of whether you feel now that it was the wrong thing to do to reopen secondary schools or to reopen universities, they are. And if you close them now, all of those people that you admittedly, you admittedly, some of those universities are sadly quite, um, have got quite high infection rates and got quite high concentrations of, of COVID. If you close them, all of those students are going to go home and spread them in their hometowns. Actually, it's better now to have them where they are so that they're not at risk of spreading it to older, more vulnerable parts of the population would be my, would be my take. 
Yep, back to you. So, in terms of the keeping them where they are now, absolutely, that's the right thing to do. But what I can promise you is by the second week of December, COVID will not be gone from the student population. And they will all be going home for Christmas. So that that is gonna that is gonna stoke the fires again. And in terms of the numbers, and we say, yeah, okay, in terms of that representative of percentages in Portsmouth, you're correct that it's not over universities came back. If you looked at the infection rate in Portsmouth, it was it was one one of the lowest in the country. I think before the universities came back, we were at 311 out of 312 local authorities for, you know, cases per 100,000. We were blessed in Portsmouth that we didn't have a high rate of COVID infection. So the universities came back and that number started to shoot up. Uh, and we're now at the point where if we look at the tiered system, we would be close to moving from tier one to tier two. So my question is, what changed? Well, what changed is the best part of 30,000 people who do not live in Portsmouth, who by default then must live in areas of the UK which have a higher infection rate than Portsmouth, came to live in Portsmouth, bringing COVID with them. It, it's possible. I mean, personally, I haven't looked that much at the data to know whether that's correlation or causation, because... I haven't got as a test sample a um, data to hand of a of a town that doesn't have a university and to see what happened to their infection rate. So uh, it's quite possible because that seems to have been the that seems to have been the trend nationwide. What I'm I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, you're understandably unhappy about um, uh, about the levels of infection in um, in universities or in the student population. Um, you know there are if there are high levels in that there are obviously things that you can do to try and stop them then bridging that infection to other parts of the population um yep but if you close i mean secondary school kids you could possibly argue that you know if you you know if you and i believe someone did but i can't remember who and when so i'm not going to quote it at, at length um that it, you know if you did what has been tried elsewhere which is that you you effectively have half a class um, you teach half the class one week or one day the, the the other half of the class are distance learning but following the same lesson and then you kind of keep swapping it over so uh, so the students yep. still get an in um an in in school or college or whatever um experience they still get to see some of their friends physically they still get see to get out but it but it kind of reduces that bubble if you like you know the whole kind of idea yep. the concept of you know 30 you know that's easier to do with older students students i should imagine that you yes. can at least you know say you know don't sit this close to this person don't don't you know stop yeah. stop licking that person um you know stop um stop trying to swallow their pen etc you you know you can't you can't necessarily do that with um with all age groups but i i guess it's the how do you weigh that up against against the what the data or what the that's, that's been claimed previously by the government has been saying that the younger people are the less likely they are to actually be a vectors of infection the less likely yep. they are actually to, to have symptoms and therefore it's much healthier for them in the long term to have an education and to to get out um of also you can also argue that them going to school is not only good for them Mentally and physically, yep. it also means that their parents can um, are you know available so, um, for the yeah. economy. So it's it's a so uh, so let me just can't cut in make on schools. perfect solutions out of a massively imperfect situation, I guess. No, and and for me, it's on balance. So w would I would I be closing schools now? No, I wouldn't. So schools would stay open. But for me, when you've got when you've got um, sec the college the colleges and the universities. All of that content, or the vast majority of that content, can be delivered online. And the generation that are 17 to 20-something are the online generation. 
So there is an element of of that that is the that's the area for me where it, it is inexplicable that we're not addressing that. That's the that's the piece which has really ground my gears over this whole whole arrangement. So we're gonna lock down for a month. You know, we are gonna see more businesses go under. Are we gonna see high levels of compliance? I hope so. But I doubt it. Um, we touched on the if you don't fancy wearing a mask, just order a sunflower yan lanyard off the interweb. Um, and I personally think that, you know, uh, there is a piece of me, Simon, if I'm being I wonder whether this is sim this isn't about slowing everything down and saving the NHS. It's so that we can put on some grandstanding gesture to say, oh, look, we've got it under control so well. You can all go and have your figgy pudding in your roast turkey at Christmas you know, and tiny Tim shall have a goose. I'm going to catch up with some of the comments that we've got because I've um, in a being enthralled by um, my by, by your um, by your sudden agreement with the National Union of um, Education Union. Um, it, so uh, James Vivian uh, says student testing is one of the few things the uni does right. Um, they've been testing asymptomatic students and delivering free food parcels to students in isolation. Um, so and, 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 and again, I'm not criticising the university. I think the university has done as much as they can, but within a framework of packing youths away from home for the first time into rooms for the stuff to... They've done as much as they can, but yeah. And that, and well, that that to be fair is is a, is another angle that we we haven't covered in this conversation. Uh, Side bunting always says um, uh, this is really um, affecting. I'll change the word. Sorry, sorry. Um, over pubs and restaurants and venues, uh, nightclubs. Uh, no easy answers, but sixty six to eighty percent furlough won't keep them going. And the convenient question mark um, relaxing of planning means that more of them will be flat next year. Um, so. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, James is, James also um, said that he couldn't help but agree with Ian. Most unis uh, he's, he's aware of operate 100% online. Portsmouth, for some unknown reason, is an exception. It's that island mentality, mate. Um, so in view of your conversation about um, learning, you don't need to physically be in the same place to... to you know, to be honest, to sit and watch a video, etc. Um, Sai also says the same thing about um, MPs, and there was a side kind of conversation about our voting system being being made digital. So obviously, we've got we've got local and police and crime commissioner elections coming up in May. Mm. Um, so um, so you know that um, that will be quite interesting. So uh, we're twenty past. Shall we? I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and try and do quickly. So we move on to the to our third to our dessert. Yes, yeah, yeah. We we haven't got much room for dessert, as is often the way. So the U.S. presidential election, um, the elections on on Tuesday tomorrow. Is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday, yes. Yeah. Um, Nick Sebley, thank you for correcting me. I, I thought it was, for some reason I got my dates mixed up. I thought it was the second, but it is on the third. It's on the, it's on the Tuesday. But interestingly, it isn't even the start of the election, obviously, because millions of Americans have already voted. Mm. Um, and it probably won't be the end of it either. No, I mean, it, 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 it is... And again, we talked about, you know, first past the post and the, the, you know, the American electoral college system is, you know, it, the, the whole thing is fascinating, isn't it? That it seems to, the primaries seem to get you to select the, the most extreme version of two different flavors and then puts it to the American people that says, choose who you want to be the second worst person in the world. Um, because the candidates usually end up are well, they're ghastly, aren't they? And we're now at the situation where, you know, America is going to end up ultimately divided again. The question, I guess, this time is, you know, he's been asked, the Trumpster has been asked, if you lose, will you accept the result of the um, of the uh, 
election and he's basically not said of course i will this is a democracy we live in so um you know as it stands it looks like our friend uh, the the forgettable named joe biden is so far ahead in the polls it looks like he's gonna he's gonna stroll home well i i'm always wary of um i forget which of the hitchings brother it was brothers it was that said that polls aren't used to measure voting intent they're used to manipulate it um so i wonder i worry that it, it if the polls continue to say basically he's going to walk it that that means that lots of um i nearly said lib dem voters that lots i mean i also don't want lots of lib dem voters to not to bother to vote i want them to bother to vote postal votes please reg- please register for your postal votes um lots of democrat voters see the queues at their polling place and, and decide not to bother not to bother to vote see the queues that they have to mm. they have to get to to fit their you know their postal ballot into the one box for their you know for their county um so i i worry i worry about the um the complacency that da- the, uh, the danger of a complacency that that can set in with um with lands predicted landslides because they they can turn out not to be yeah. right and all they can do is actually demotivate your base and remotivate the other the your opponent's base because they think you're you're going to walk it so they're absolutely determined to get out and fight and make sure that it it wins and your base are kind of like oh I can stay home and, and um and watch Star Trek Discovery it's fine um so I worry about that um there's all sorts of shenanigans about the postal ballots um and about um and about whether those votes will get counted i saw there was a really good exploration done and a good timeline done in an article um in the guardian a couple of weeks ago where they talked about um because there's a timeline at which postal ballots have to be accepted by the states um and all trump's lawyers need to do is to keep challenging the acceptance of those ballots until the point that that deadline passes and at which point those postal ballots get excluded from the count um, yeah, the only the only thing I didn't get on postal ballots, though, Simon, and this is the, the the Republicans seem to have a right old bee in their bonnet about postal votes and the fact that oh, it's open to abuse, it's open to abuse. Well, if it's open to abuse, why would only one side abuse it? Um, well, aside from the, the 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 abuse of postal, I mean, postal ballot is the weakness in any in both our electoral system and in the American electoral system. So, to be fair, all of this talk about voter ID at polling stations, you don't need to, you know, you only need to have someone else yep. signing to say that you are the person you say you are, and your signature on the submitted ballot match the signature that's in the application form for a postal ballot. Um, that's the only verification. To be fair, if you were minded to, that's really easy to. To, um, yeah. to circumvent. In order to make a difference, though, you'd have to circumvent hundreds, if not thousands, of ballots. And it would be, you'd have to find a way to either get them all delivered to the same place, which would raise a flag somewhere, I'm sure. Yep. Um, and then that's where, where there have been in this country um, postal ballot irregularities. They've been linked to um, old people's homes, for example, where um and, and things like that so I, I get your point but i think i don't think it's the actual fact of whether the democrats really are fiddling postal ballots because that's what trump's um you know trump is trump's narrative is about saying that postal ballots are a bit iffy if by saying that and you know the republicans all following what he's saying like um un- unfortunately lots of them are they're not willing to stand up and say actually you don't represent what's um the you know the the true values of our party you're you're a horrific human being but you know nonetheless um hey who wants a leader that has a strange relationship with the truth if not distant one um so by just by saying that if that encourages republican voters to vote in person instead of um postal ballots and then you have a mechanism in place. I know this is starting to sound like tin foil hat stuff. Um, you have a mechanism in place to, disc- to, to to delay or to discount and challenge the inclusion of postal ballots. Then that statistically, you know, the theory being that yeah. would work to your advantage because you've you've tried with that with those words to separate 
the predisposition to type of ballot to one type and another and therefore it makes it easy to to, um to kind of um separate them out um um phil broom's uh comment is it's it's the russians not the democrats what they're fiddling the postal ballot system um Uh, that could be or the lizard people perhaps um i i i i you know i don't know i i guess for me the the worrying thing is the because there was a um there was a group of researchers that um and i wrote it down somewhere um mills gilman and raza brooks that in june um had a selection of people that are either involved in party politics or involved in various arms of u.s government to war game what would happen if the outcome of the uh, of the presidential election wasn't clear um and the people that took part have all been sworn to secrecy um but they came out with some really quite genuinely horrific things about what what um what the incumbent could do in order to um, in order to effectively delay the inclusion of postal ballots to the point that they got refused. And then you end up in a situation where they're using um, the powers that they have in order to uh, in order to deal with um, what would be protests on the streets. Um, and then you've also effectively got two different two different parties both claiming to the US Congress that they have the power to uh, that they basically are the are the bona fide elected administration um, and present their president. So it, it's a worrying thing that oh, in, yes. a, in a country that actually has a written constitution, I mean, it's, t- it's taken them a few years to get to a point where someone's actually tried or inadvertently, but, you know, to break it so well. well I mean, God knows how sure. disastrous it would be in a country without a written constitution. Uh, on that grumbly mumbly bombshell... We will close because you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansby. Bye.